Welcome back. The Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Rochelle and Carter super giddy today. Because why? Double M is here. F- Eminem, the person who Eminem. created Eminem. Yes, yes. <laughs> Matt Marr. <laughs> Genuinely one of my favorite people in the Christian music scene today. Uh, just because he's the authentic deal. And I, w- I have said that, have I not, a zillion times without him being present. Because one would wonder, she's gushing because he's there. This is the first no. time I've ever heard her say this. So... <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. but no, welcome. Welcome to the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Happy to be here. Uh, I love being on this podcast since this is, you know, very specific of podcasts of two morning show hosts from a radio station oh. in, in Houston, Texas. Right, 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 it's right. It's my right. favorite podcast. It's your... <laughs> hosted by two morning show hosts from a radio show. I was show. like, <laughs> there's a real targeted audience yeah, yeah, right yeah. there. This is like yeah. your, your testimony for an infomercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, I love this product yeah, specifically yeah, in this yeah. regard. Yeah. yeah. It's, speaking of genuine, uh, Matt Barr, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Oh, my goodness. No, it's good to see you guys. Uh, how, how are you doing? I mean, I'm good. Uh, I think, like everyone, I'm getting used to, like, going places and doing stuff where I'm seeing more people I don't know. Yeah. Um, mostly just because I, uh, you know, after 2020 last year, um, I stayed home. I didn't really tour at all. Mm. I kind of was like, let's, let's do another lap of that. And, and some of it was just from an infrastructure standpoint of looking and seeing much um, more established artists with bigger infrastructure strugg- struggling so much with touring. I was mm. like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to venture out into that. Mm. So I stayed home and we home, we homeschooled our kids, uh, uh, for the, um, for the year. And so that bled into the summer and then, and you never done that before, never done that before. So that was a real big adjustment on everyone. Yeah. And how many kids do you have? Three. And their age range? 10, 8, and 6. Okay, yeah, so my, my son is almost 2, so we get that reprieve in the middle of the day with nap time. Yeah. And I thought to myself the other day, you know, when nap time ends, generally at least you get a break with school or yep. Mother's Day out or something. And then I thought, what about the homeschool parents? Yeah, you just tell your kid and you just say, go outside. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's 20 below. It's all right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Go outside. You do you. Yeah, yeah. layers. <laughs> We're layers. <laughs> so I think there was definitely that. And... um finished uh the school year kids went back this past fall which was amazing and it was weird because all of a sudden it was the house was kind of quiet yeah during the day yeah and that was very strange Mm. yeah uh for both my wife and i did you feel like good strange or was it like i kind of miss we got into our routine i think we definitely i think at first we wrestled a bit with missing them yeah but the socialization aspect with school is is like really really important, and I I do think <clears throat> I, I feel like at this point now I have no idea what's happen what's going to happen a year to two years from mm-hmm. now. Sure, and I think I'm, that's that's just real, isn't it? Yeah, and it's like <laughs> I can be pragmatic and make and make concrete plans, and at the same time I I'm learning to just you have to hold it loosely. It's one because, of my favorite things. Yeah. Because nothing, because you, you have no idea what kind of curveballs life is going to throw you. And um, half of the tension and stress that people feel is their plans and expectations, not mm-hmm. reality, not measuring up. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is so true. And That's and a good way of putting it. Yeah. So I think there's a healthy amount of sur- like surrender 
for sure, which I would say is one of the biggest things that I feel like I've been taught the past two years. Well, and I was going to say, what is a lesson that you've learned? And I was talking maybe more specifically, is there a habit, a, a practical thing daily or weekly with your family that you learn? You know, one thing we, we tried to learn is to slow down. Yeah. Now, now it seems like it's getting back to normal and I've kind of forgotten that lesson. But is there is there a habit that you guys picked up in this time? I mean, I think we had already had some stuff that we were doing together and we just did it more and it kind of reinforced it. But eating dinner together yeah at the end of the day fighting fighting for that which is really hard i mean this fall uh you know it's like the it felt like yeah the first three nights first three days of the week you know is when you know your week starts Mm -hmm. and everyone's gone till like 6 30 6 o'clock you know so it's a bunch of ships passing sure um and but because i was home i was able to kind of help a little bit uh more effectively (laughs) it's just like what i would say is like when you're touring like when when you're in a marriage where one of you uh works at home you get used to your job titles which you you kind of have to effectively become a single parent Mm. to survive and so that was one of the things that we i really i think i've got a window into more of over the past couple of years was I knew how much my my wife did, mm-hmm. but now I, I I'm really more and more getting just more and more of a sense and how hmm. just how much of a rock she is in our fam like to our whole family. Yeah, it's a whole new layer of appreciation. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And have you learned to fold a fitted sheet? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I I've feigned attempt. <laughs> so my husband just wads it. Yeah. yeah no, I'm it. not gonna wad it. Yeah. But like, okay, you, you, uh, I, I'm impressed. Honestly. I'm not going to iron the creases, yeah. you know, like, uh, but this is not the Waldorf, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm that that's, it's all that it's, it's all this stuff that you, when you're away, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> writing songs with people or playing a guitar and singing and praying with people as beautiful as a task it is. And as, much as God shows up in it, um, it was good to be completely away from it. Mm-hmm. Number one, to appreciate it uh, and to not get sick of it. Mm-hmm. And then number yeah. two, um, to not let it define me so much. Well, we all get yeah. in our own little bubble no matter what we do. Mm-hmm. For sure. So even if you can't relate to what Matt's saying with, you know, being a musician. being it's the, But see, that's the music part's irrelevant. Yeah. Exactly. But but that was the bubble that you were in. And yeah. so we all get in our own little cubicle of life True. or whatever that is. Yeah. And just, I think it threw us all together in that moment. We started recognizing it. Uh, hopefully we recognized others' abilities, what they contribute as opposed to, wow, you look like that when you wake up in the morning. Huh? <laughs> well, and I think it's the biggest thing. It was like, how are you showing up to, like, to the people around you in, in, mm-hmm. in your life? Like, how are you showing up for them? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a good challenge. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this portion of the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Uh, Definitely, uh, if you're seeing it live, then it will be up very soon in the next week or so. Uh, But if you're seeing this maybe a little bit later, go search for it right now. The Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Uh, We're about to ask him, how was playing music in front of the Pope? How did that go? All right. So definitely download, hit subscribe, the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. We will see you soon. Are we going to leave in the awesome. part where he peed his pants while he was yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. whoa. Yeah. This, is, this is how deep fake starts. <laughs> All right. I want to get this. Is it not? Oh, I, I can, I can lean into it. Yep. But it was, I'll just angle it down. I think that'll help too. Um,
Okay. No, so we'll take out that last part of saying goodbye have, to them. Are those lights bothering you, or are you okay? Yeah, we can turn them off now if they're, they're in, just, if they're in just the like, I feel now. like when I close my eyes, I'm yeah. going to be seeing Oreo yeah, cookies okay. all day long. <laughs> you're just going to yank it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, why is there an eclipse following me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my interview with you. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Is that good? I I geeked out a little when I saw your work with The Chosen and Aww. Christmas with The Chosen, and I was so excited. And you were the yeah. most upbeat song in the whole thing. Well, I say, I say that. Phil Wickham was pretty upbeat. Yeah. But boy, there it was such a heavy, beautiful presentation. I was really undone by it. Just Man, so excited about that project. One then, of my, I would say, like, of the pandemic, one of the most un, unexpected or surprising uh, relationships, friendships to develop has been getting to know a little bit uh, Dallas, Dallas Jenkins yeah. um, and connecting with him. And what happened was two years ago, um, no, it was in the, yeah, yeah, because it was in like uh, September of 2020. Mm. Okay. We got approached by The Chosen saying, hey, we're filming a Christmas special and the director's a massive fan of you and your music, like you're his favorite artist. Wow. And, uh, uh, and you know, would you come and place come to Utah and film on the set and which is humbling but at the time you probably were like well, who's this guy you know or did well, you know it, anything about that I, I knew about the show yeah oh, okay. our, you our, na our nanny at the time was like you guys gotta watch this show yeah. it's amazing you know yeah. and, and 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 I think at first there's like a hell I don't know I don't know if it's healthy it's just a certain level of skepticism yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah totally and uh you know and then finally watched a couple episodes and was like okay, wow, these guys really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, but it was, there was a kind of a spike uh, in Utah at the time, and I was still pretty gun shy. You know, everyone's has their kind of sure. neutral response to stuff mm -hmm. like this. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I had liver disease for 27 years, mm -hmm. and I got cured in 2015. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I technically qualify as someone with the, like a comorbidity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm also pretty healthy. Yeah. Um. So it was just it's just a big gray area. Yeah. So yeah. I was just like, you know what? So we called them and said, "Man, we really want to be involved. What if we film something?" And they're like, "Well, send us a location." Yeah. And so I ended up. I spent a couple of days and thought about it, and uh, I remembered uh, this really great barn. So I called up the owner of the barn and said, hey, is there any way we could come <gasps> film? At the bar? So you weren't there? No. You weren't so we filmed, we went to Franklin and actually, so I filmed the song for the first Christmas special uh, two years ago. Okay. Uh -huh. It was, we filmed Home for Everyone. It was at Amy Grant's barn. Okay. That's, so, the, that's the owner of the barn that you called? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then. Um, this isn't the place that she is deemed is that the place? Yeah. Like what we saw in the Jesus documentary, the Jesus music? Yes. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's every bit that. I mean, that's really that, special. That's a whole sidebar. So yeah. then this year came around. They're like, hey, could you do it? And the weekend they wanted me to do it was my weekend of my anniversary. And okay. my wife was with me oh. and we were in Utah. And I was like, well, I'm in Utah. I'm with my wife. Well, I'm like in two hours away from the set, you know, and it just, but it was like the logistics of trying to get it. And it, it was like, man, I just don't know if this is going to work. And so then they finally, so we missed that weekend. And then they, they, uh, Dallas texted me like three weeks later and was like, hey, this special is going to be really awesome, but we could really use something with 
a little bit of energy in it. Yeah. And he's like, I would really love it if you could come do Hark the Herald. Mm. And I was like, oh, if you still have a window, I would love to come do it. Yeah. And so we showed up and they were showing us the set and we were trying to figure out where we we're going to film it. And I was like, is there like a first century Jerusalem pub? I love it. And they're it. like, oh, yeah, we got the spot. It's like right around the corner here. <laughs> it's like the pub at Tatooine. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, literally. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, there there yeah. are no drinks there because it was, it was the LDS set, right? Yeah, yeah, so there's yeah, no, yeah. There's definitely no drinks there. No, no, <laughs> none, none of us. It's all caffeine-free Pepsi. <laughs> Oh so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just like fountains of it. Um, yeah, totally. he, he wasn't joking. <laughs> no, I, as no. you know. So, so, yeah, so we flew out there, and and then um, also a month earlier, I had met Jonathan Rumi, who plays mm. Jesus, mm -hmm. who's a fellow Catholic. He is, yes, and, and he met the Pope. Yeah, and that, oh man, that story's hilarious. Yeah? Yeah, because he meets the Pope, and he's, you know, with the director, Dallas. Mm. So I got texts from both of them about this, that Jonathan's like meeting the Pope and he's like, I play Jesus in a show called The Chosen and the Pope's like nodding and then he looks at Jonathan, or he looks at Dallas, the director, he's like, so if he's Jesus, are you Judas? <laughs> no! Yeah. That's hilarious. Just busting his chops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. But, uh, so then, yeah. The Pope that, that, is a sense of humor. Oh, yeah, huge. There you go. So they, so Jonathan uh, came out, was out the same day doing voiceover work, and so we were just kind of hanging on the set, and it, it it was a real window into everything that they'd done, and and they they kind of they talked us through the special, and they kind of showed us where the finale got filmed, and hmm. yeah, I mean everyone, Maverick City, Phil Wickham, the Bonner family, uh, you know, um, Jordan Felice, Brian yeah, Kane. K. Torwalt, Kane. Uh -huh. It, every all the performances were really fantastic. It was and it was this thing of like, clearly God was ar was the architect and was 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 crafting a story. Mm -hmm. The actual episode, mm -hmm. which is like the it's like the nativity story, but unlike anything I'd it's seen, it's the before. best depiction of the nativity nativity story I've ever seen. Hmm. If you haven't watched it, like you can watch it as a standalone episode, I think, and yeah. it's completely worth it. You get in the weeds with Mary and Joseph. And that to me, like, so what I've always said is that the hardest thing about the scriptures, that thing that gets suspended the most in the modern era is the thing that's the most relatable, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. which is, which is the humanity of the characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's actually God that isn't, it's not that God is unbelievable. It It's that we assume that everyone in the story is, is perfect mm -hmm. and right. therefore it's not relatable. Right. And so what makes the grace of God so utterly powerful yeah. is watching it transform ordinary lives and people who knew people. So you're like, I know that guy. I've known that guy half my life. Mm -hmm. Like, He's a total mess up. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's following this guy named Jesus. And I love that those guys, like there's a team of writers and they're just, they're basically, you know, whenever they're writing episodes, they're just opening the scriptures and they're opening historical texts and they're just getting in the weeds of it, like you said, and really, really trying to bring these, give these characters, you know, dimension. Validity yeah. too. Validity, yeah. yeah. I mean, because it's true. And I think just that it's that, but that human factor and seeing it illustrated, um, that is just so, I think, so compelling. Is that why um, what we see today with a lot of people 
whether, you know, with this ex-evangelical movement, and that's a range, you know, some people are just mad at, and and seriously, sometimes hurt by the church that they're just going to go do home church, you know, and then the other spe- side of the spectrum is, well, I'm an atheist now. And I, mm-hmm. I think that would be one element of it, is that we look at the scriptures and we just, they're like robots to us, and that we can't really put ourselves in that situation and think that we'd have the same reaction. And yet we didn't see the gut-wrenching days in between when God told them something or something happened up to that act of obedience. Um, I mean, what would be kind of your take on maybe uh, whether it's that alone or what the season of doubt that seems to be uh, prevalent in faith right now? Yeah, I, you know, my dad, when he was 19 years old, his father had a massive brain hemorrhage. And on his deathbed, my dad begged God to spare his life and said, if you spare my father's life, I'll become a priest. And my grandfather passed away, obviously, because yeah. I'm here, yeah. uh, because my dad didn't become a priest. And that kind of, uh, I don't even want to say bargaining with God. It's not because it's not that God is scandalized by it or God doesn't talk to people or relate to people who relate to him that way. If my kids tried to bargain with me, I it it doesn't make me love them less. That's a really good point. Like it kind of, it actually moves my heart. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of take it out of those terms. I I think that the moment we are currently in as a church is a very complicated moment that is not due to one specific thing, but a myriad or a multitude of things all colliding and or aligning at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, every 500 years in the history of the church, there has been a massive shift. Mm. So whether it's, uh, you know, the legalization of Christianity and the establishment of Christianity as the dominant religion in the Roman Empire Mm -hmm. to the split between the Eastern Church and the Western Church over the authority of the Pope or the patriarchs to the Reformation. And now we find ourselves in this moment in history. I think that um, so that's, I, I lay that on top mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. history is really, really important right now and where you get your history and, and, and like just wanting to understand things as they actually happened, um, and consider it and weigh it in, in my, tra- in Catholicism, there is a side of spiritual, um, growth called that's just Catholic mysticism. And there were these, there were several saints who wrote letters and books on the subject of like having a deep mystical relationship with Jesus. And one of them was a guy named St. John of the Cross. And he talked about what's called the dark night of the soul. Mm. So he basically talked about how he was this, so he was a monk, Carmelite. So it meant he lived like in, he lived separate from society. Mm. All they did was pray. And his superior and a bunch of his brothers were growing real lax in prayer. They were hanging out with rich people. They were kind of living like more like them. They started wearing their clothes, started be, they started showing up with jewelry. 
like they they were becoming more like the world that they were trying to love and minister to yeah than they were being set apart mm. so he started complaining and basically saying guys like we're we're missing out on our call to be more radically devoted to Jesus and they locked him in a tower so here's this guy who is deeply passionate about Christ, who's deeply passionate about his relationship with God, basically sees the hypocrisy in the world around him. He tries to call people on it, and the response is they sort of basically push him out and out, like oust him all alone. They gaslight him. They make him feel like an outsider. They make, they're like, this isn't about us. This is about you. You're crazy. Like, we're not the problem. You're the problem. Yeah. And in that isolation... He wrote one of the most profound spiritual documents called The Dark Night of the Soul. And basically in prayer and in meditation, what he wrote about was how it felt like Jesus was withdrawing himself Mm -hmm. from him so that he could choose to commit himself further. Mm -hmm. And and I think Mm -hmm. what it is, it's, 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 <clears throat> a lot of big words. It's recontextualizing suffering in light of the cross. Hmm. So what I see, the biggest problem is that I think evangelicalism has struggled with in the past 20 years is that does following Jesus uh, remove suffering from your life? And if you are suffering in life, are you doing something wrong? And it's basically like there's this parallel journey with like the growth of like wealth and um, materialism and individualism uh, and relativism. But like what it comes down to is just the ability to, to have more stuff and to let it have you and how much that distracts you from God. And so, but there's still this unanswered question that's part of the human condition now because of the fall, which is what do I do with suffering? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of evangelical culture, suffering's always been, if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. You're being unfaithful. Someone in your family's being unfaithful. There's a generational curse. There's this or this or that or that. Or that and um, it's your fault. Mm. And where does the, where is that contrived? I don't know. I don't know. It's not scriptural. No. It and doesn't I'm, exist. I think there's, there is an aspect of like sin in our life, starts small, gets big. If we don't deal with it, sure. it can't pass down through generations. That and cancer are not the same thing. That yeah. and bankruptcy yeah. are not the same thing. That and addiction are not the same thing. Yeah. Or mental health. Yeah. And so um, huh. a lot of people, like I can inherit my dad's, uh, my o- OCD runs really hard on my dad's side of the family. Hmm. I'm smiling because I have it. So people with any form of like of of a mental health issue, you know, like I have degenerative disc disease in my back. I need glasses. Mm-hmm. Like I wear a prescription for my glasses because if I don't, I can't function in the world. Yeah. But there's a big aspect of mental health, including depression and a, a lot of sort of other kind of ailments. Um, my hairdresser has ADD. She basically spent most of her life not on medication and the first time she got her brain uh, chemistry got regulated she hurt her son for the first time oh my gosh she just started weeping because she goes I realized I heard every single thing he said Mm -hmm. 
So that, that aspect of life, dealing with tragedy, unexpected death, unemployment, uh, you know, addiction, like I said, like other forms of illness, um, there's been this sort of expectation in, in evangelical Christianity that if you're experiencing that stuff, it, it somehow means that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. So I think people experiencing that, I think that mental health is basically a large undiscovered country, not just in Christianity, but in Western medicine in general. Mm. I mean, the state of Arizona has like still has terrible health uh, coverage when it comes to mental health. Mm. People don't cover it. You know, I mean, there's a million and one amazing Christian healthcare programs, but they won't even cover things about health, like mental health. Mm. Um, and so we're in un- we are in uncharted territory, but what I would say is I think a lot of people who are going through faith crisis or deconstruction, whatever you call it, um, I think it's initially a dark night of the soul. And then I think, you know, a, a good friend of mine who's a pastor said deconstruction is the pain of a false idol dying, hmm. which is like hmm. really profound. Mm. Yeah. That we all we all build a false image of who God is. Yeah, that's true. And at some point in our life, if it goes on and it persists, something will happen that will trigger uh, the beginning of the tearing of it down, which is actually, in every biblical sense, it's always the precursor to revival. Mm. You, You know, with that, the part of the suffering... Because we're going through Revelation at our church right now of the beginning of before all the crazy stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of the churches that are are suffering, you know, in in the the seven letters or whatever it is yeah. that he, here Jesus is speaking to these churches, and in uh, in some he has correction for the for the churches that are might be doing something wrong, uh, but there are some that he just encourages. And they're living in these crazy towns where people are killing them or or saying, hey, you're a Christian. Uh, legally, I get to take your money now, you know, and just stuff like that, that they are authentically following Jesus and here is suffering. So we can look at Scripture and, and attest to exactly what you're saying. It's not biblical for that idea that has prevalent our, our culture, um, that suffering means you're doing something wrong. But also on the reverse part of it, we have been told that if you're rich— or blessed, then you must be living a faithful life. Yeah, and that's just not always the same. That you and th- those are not uh, equivalent to each other. Because then we <laughs> we we think yeah, success is we not, trust those people and they yeah. must be so godly. Success is not holiness. They're just not the same thing. Yeah, being successful with money and that and then part of the problem is is that we I feel like often when it comes to characterizing people or appropriating people within the context of our mind, like who is this person to me? We go always now to the to the Old Testament to characterize someone because there's a lot more like um I don't know like there's a lot more Babylonian kings apparently that we mm-hmm. want to like say like oh well this person was like crazy and wealthy and successful and God used them so we should be we should be patient yeah and, and versus this the New Testament God which used is, Stephen God, and got stones God yeah. God using yeah fishermen you know what I mean and, and tax collectors yeah and you know 
sort of hanging. The subtleties are in there. I was just thinking about uh, the way that we put God in a box. It struck me when when you read through the construction of the temple that he used a half-breed yeah. to construct the the most important things that are there. Mm. Like the, You remember telling about the, the sea, which is this giant bowl that's in the temple. But anyway, the guy who hammered all this stuff out wasn't fully Hebrew. And so sometimes when you read through Scripture, you think, okay, well, it's there. It's finite. This is what it says. No non-Israelite shall enter dot, dot, dot. Clearly, there are exceptions being made or there is something going on here more than what we are literally reading in text. There is context. So God isn't in the box that we keep talking about. And so yeah. I always want to be on the lookout for the lowly half-breed servant as opposed to maybe the Babylonian king, because it's in there too. Yeah, I, and, and what I would say is that um, I think that God, God allowing or God speaking to someone who is sort of outside of the knowledge of him or outside of uh, a community of believers to have compassion on the community of believers, that's God's work. It's actually mm-hmm. not my work. I can't do that. That's like supernatural level. So why am I spending so much energy and focus on trying to earn the favor of people who don't believe what I believe? Mm. Um, that's a really good statement. Be, be, because, and I think that's the, that's the, the thing that's hard too, is that I think, and some of this would, this is the, the last thing I would say is that someone once said that the with the dawn of the 1950s became the, and the dawn of the car mm-hmm. in a mass produced sense came the dawn of youth ministry in the mm. United States. Okay. Yeah. So youth ministry didn't exist before youth culture. Yeah. So, and the main core philosophy of youth ministry was let's find the most popular kid. And if we get him, he'll be a great influence and he'll get everyone else. Mm. And basically that core philosophy has not left the building since it entered the building. Which is the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus going to a tax collector (laughs) who's the most despised, (laughs) most culturally like blacklisted person and saying, hey, I and publicly saying, I want to eat dinner at your house. Or Zacchaeus who's like, same thing, tax collector who's up in a tree. Hey, I want to eat at your house tonight. Everybody hates that guy. Everyone hates <laughs> yeah. that guy. Yeah. So what I would say is it was an effective uh, philosophy of engagement or of gathering people, but it's actually not necessarily the best philosophy for discipleship. And and that's the last thing I would say that it's sort of like, if there's a bunch of, like I said, a bunch of things all converging and, and why are so many people dealing with doubt is that in some ways there has been a massive gap in discipleship Mm -hmm. in the church, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, people aren't reading their Bible as much, but people aren't applying it as much, Yeah, Yeah. which is, you know, I I think... It's the most important thing. Which is the most important thing because it's, you know, and and there's a lot of other stuff. I mean, it's like if you grew up in a church that was 20 years old, to you is the church 20 years old. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Is the church, is your church as old as the guy who planted it? Right. Which, which to me is really hard then because when every every institution around you is that's old that's older is failing, every leadership institute it's like uh, or every institution like every aspect of leadership is 
somehow being revealed as not being perfect, you know, all our heroes. And I, I mean, even <laughs> it's like everyone's, you know, culture and movies, you know, the book of Boba Fett was about an anti-hero, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, which man, we could go on a rant about that. Anyways, um, <laughs> we could. Love to go <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, love to go on a rant with so, you yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> She's got the Star Wars backpack. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it, you know, it, it, um, I think that, so it, without that sense of being connected to something that's like way older than you and way bigger than you, you do, you feel lost. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, and it's not like I didn't struggle, struggle with it just like everyone else in the past couple of years. But I think what kept me, let's say in the building, were kind of three things, which was that having a sense of history. Um, I think uh, understanding that Dark Knights of the Soul and the the constructs that I use to build the boxes I create to put God in, occasionally I'm going to have to go through those. It's just part of it's part of growing into subject like. Someone said, if you're ever stuck with a theological problem, the answer is always the Paschal mystery, which is the death, passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So as a Christian, you're on that cycle of where am I learning to suffer with Christ? Mm -hmm. Where am I dying to myself? Mm -hmm. And where am I experiencing resurrection? Hmm. And a a healthy spirituality is, is, is... Going through all of that. Unpacking that. If it's all it's all suffering, but no res no right. It doesn't culminate into like a a a decision of death of like this needs this part of me, this part of my life needs to die. And if it's not, if you're not experiencing resurrection, like that's really good. God wants you to have life. Like Christian it's not and so I think that's why so many young people are leaving, is because maybe their experience was all suffering and not letting things die so nothing can come back to life or it's just it's a veneer of new life but yeah. no suffering no like no one helping them how to unpack sure suffering how how do you deal with um I, I love what you talk about with history because I've really gotten to apologetics over the past couple of years yeah and what's true and I think I look at it like a court case you know yeah none of us were there uh, but if we really gauge the evidence, you know, I think a lot of atheists will look at, oh, the glove didn't fit. You must have quit. And that's the I'm writing all on that when the culmination of evidence uh, leads me to believe that my best guess, my what I put my trust in is that Jesus really was a person, died, rose again. He is the Savior. And the purpose for this is because your heart is so grieved right now for people who are. I would honestly say frustrated, uh, frustrated. At, at, at time when I when I hear questions, I, I would I would describe that. But because well, as a person, I, I'm one of those people that doesn't necessarily need the proof. Mm-hmm, right. Right. It was like I, I would. Yeah, I would probably equate it more to a supernatural experience myself, which I know that at the end of the day, that other individual that's frustrating me is going to have to have that because they've already arrived at their conclusion. Yeah. But sure. but having that in my backpack to make sure that I can have an appropriate conversation if there are real questions brought to the table and it's not yeah. just an attack session. Sure, sure, sure. But that's that's kind of where it started for you, I think, even in the last couple of years. And, and but I think what I'd be curious about for for both of you is um, when you how do you when it is somebody maybe a little bit of both mm-hmm. some questions somebody that says 
I'm leaving the faith. I'm not just starting a home church. I'm leaving the faith. And then all of a sudden you get this, maybe some false information. Did you know Jesus actually was a baker? I mean, I don't know, whatever people say. Uh, did you know that maybe we should change scripture you know, to fit society? And, you know, things like this. How do you gauge making sure that truth is truth, but also not talking at people? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think some of your, uh, for every person, some of, of how you develop your understanding of not just how, how the scriptures, um, function in the life of the individual believer, but how they where they exist in the life and breadth of the church. Yeah. Um, and so it's a bit different in the, for me in the sense that, like, as a Catholic, I mean, this is why Catholicism would hold up Scripture and tradition, because it would say, here's the words of God that is compiled, and yes, there were hundreds and hundreds of other Gospels written at the time, but much akin to, like, a police report, um, you're going to gather the the, the uh, account, accounts that are consistent with one another. Mm -hmm. And now it's easy also then to infer on the actions of people. So it's like, well, what about the people who edit it and put it together? So did they have somehow have ulterior motives or whatever? Right. And I would say, well, it's, I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think it's good to understand that. That's more of a historical understanding of the time. But that doesn't necessarily still say whether or not thing, something is true or not true. And, and baseline, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, what I would say is that you have to take in all the evidence. So, it, so the reason that the, the canon of the Gospels were chosen is because there was enough of a consistent story. Mm. And then you have these outliers, like in the Gnostic texts mm -hmm. or the or the other apocryphal gospels that are fantastical tales, mm. but they sound more like mythology. Sure. Sure. It sounds like someone who was like reading a ton of Greek mythology and, or like reading other apocryphal texts, um, you know, taking hallucinogenic drugs and like, like wrote this other gospel mm. and, you know, someone could say, well, why can't I follow that? I'm like, well, you're free to. You know about it. Like, no one's preventing you from it. I mean, it's like you live in the mind. Like, the internet is like the greatest <laughs> tool in the world. You can learn how to, like, change an engine block. Yeah. <laughs> and also read a, like a, a, like a, a heretical gospel text. <laughs> no one's forcing you to read the Bible. It's just that. So it's, there's the word of God. And then there's the formation of the word of God. And I think the Holy Spirit's in both. Mm. That's basically mm. why Catholics believe in scripture and tradition is because there's the things that God impresses upon the hearts of people. And then there's the wisdom to come around those things and to, and to say, yeah, this is good. We should keep doing this. Mm. So these, these letters, these gospels are good. We need to keep reading them. So let's put them together. And that's how the canon was formed. Yeah. And then there's a way of reading it. And people, once again, people are going to go, well, that's, yeah, but you need to go into the motives of it. And, and I'm, I'm like, well, 
But literally, the scriptures themselves have stories of people, of God using people with bad motives hmm. to accomplish his will. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is God trying to say, like, I, I'm above even this one guy's bad intentions. Like, I'm bigger than that. If I'm not, I'm a, I'm a terrible God. Mm-hmm. An awfully small God. Yeah. So I think the formation of the scriptures and the tradition, not just of their formation, but also of, of reading them and then understanding them in, in, the, in, a, in a larger context is, is really, really important. Because it's, it's going to really take a commitment from the other person to go there. Yeah. And how do we get them to go there? And I really do think it ultimately lands on faith. It has to be supernatural. It just yeah. does. Otherwise, why would you invest? Sure. I mean, sure. like we were being silly about Boba Fett. We've invested in a lot of Star Wars in my life. <laughs> well, and I <laughs> think we enjoy it amen. because yeah. we enjoy it, yeah. though. Right. right. And we want to do that. And, and there's so many people who they really like being able to do what they want to do on their mm-hmm. own terms. They have believed less with less information. Right. Right. Uh, than what is presented in the Word of yeah, God. Yeah, so one of my big nerd out things that I've been trying to get more into in the over the past two years is quantum physics. Wow! Okay. All right. And how, oh gosh! I, I love the movie. You must be really uh, <laughs> not no, the stupidest uh, Christian artist. I don't. I, I don't understand it. But but I, it, it, it's this sense that I think our understanding of the natural world is going to go through a, a kind of a fundamental change, mm-hmm. and I the. I've the Holy Spirit said this to me and I was like because and I know I, I like I can't I I it just makes sense. I was thinking about material science and how so much of material science is analysis and data and looking at the world around you and you know drawing a hypothesis and then examining the data and coming to a conclusion. <clears throat> but I felt like the Holy Spirit saying um science is ultimately man continuing his chief occupation in the garden, mm-hmm. which is naming things. Mm-hmm. So I can drop this lid and you'll say, there it is. I dropped it. And we'll say, we'll agree upon that. The thing that pulled it down was gravity. Sure. It doesn't make gravity less mysterious. Yeah. I yeah. could tell you how it works. Yeah. Doesn't make it less mysterious. Yeah. That's a good point. And yeah. all the names and terms that I derived to describe that mystery are things that hum- human beings came up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We named it. Yeah. Because that's what God does. God's in the business of naming things. And when he created mankind, he said, I want you to be stewards with me in the naming of the natural world, the mm-hmm. things around you. Yeah. But the problem is, is that at some point, the church, I mean, funded the creation of science. I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily even think that, that mm-hmm. it was like, it was basically the church coming, wanting to understand the natural world war- more that fostered and encouraged the development of science. Galileo and some of those guys, I think, worked for the church, right? Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then basically what happened was things would come along, revelations would come along that would challenge their understanding of the natural world, mm-hmm. and rather than step into the mystery of it and go, wow, we got to rethink this, they said you have to be wrong. Yeah. Because it's heresy. that feels like heresy to yeah. us. Because the problem though is that when you really look at it, the problem wasn't that in the science. The problem was that it threatened our understanding of man being at the center of the universe. Yeah. 
But yeah. we understand now that we're not at the center of the universe. Yeah. God is. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> but here's the thing. God is absolute. Mm-hmm. His truth is absolute. Mm-hmm. His love is absolute. His grace is absolute. Science isn't. Yeah. It's actually not supposed to be. One of the most frustrating things for people over the past two years with this pandemic mm-hmm. was that a guy kept coming on TV and people would be like, how much longer? And he's like, I don't know, two weeks, two yeah. months, two years, because he's a scientist. Yeah, it's not exact. And he's a horrible public relations person <laughs> who got, who got, I mean, it was because it's not his job. It's not like he didn't go to school to do public relations or sure. like communications. He's like, I went to be an epidemiologist. Yeah. And it's like, now I'm trying to relate this to like some guy on his couch eating a bag of Doritos <laughs> in a way that he can understand and feel and feel safe and and trust it. And the problem is, is that at some point we need something to be absolute. This is my point. My point is we need something to be absolute in the world. Mm-hmm. Because and and with that belief in that it's being absolute comes faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's happened is that in some ways now, a lot of people are wanting to put their faith and understanding in the wrong things. In the wrong things. <laughs> sure. And at the end of the day, though, it's like putting your faith or your, your faith in the absoluteness of the scientific method. But the problem is that that is a method of mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a method of change. It's a method of change. It's constantly evolving because our understanding of this world is constantly evolving. But the reality of God is. Hmm. It always will be. It always was. No less mysterious. No less sure. mysterious. Sure. No yeah. less mysterious. But and I, finite but, in that he is absolute. Yeah, he's the most certain mystery. <laughs> in such the a universe. great way of putting it. So I've, I, I guess I, I share all that to say because to me, I think when it comes to a lot of these... Um, the wrestling with faith and doubt, a lot of it, it's, it's the same language. It's someone saying, I had an absolute understanding of the mechanics of the universe, including who God was, who this is. I dropped this lid, and before it dropped, I, I believed and I knew that it would fall to the ground. But then one day what happens is it just starts floating. Hmm. And yeah. my whole understanding of my life is now shattered yeah. because I expected this to happen and it didn't happen. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I'm not saying that this lid won't fall every time, but there could come a day when it doesn't. It doesn't change who God is. No. It doesn't change his love. It doesn't change his mercy. It doesn't change his goodness. Yeah. It just means that your understanding of the natural world was finite. So That's you're, so incredible. You, so your understanding of suffering yeah. is limited. Your understanding of... of, uh, of I mean, all these theological terms that we have, understanding of predestination or your understanding of like the, the sovereignty of God, the mercy of God, the greatest grace of God, the goodness of God. Um, quantum physics is talking about super superposition and how there's this some weird thing where they're basically saying now that you are not the same because I'm looking at you. Okay. And I'm not the same because you're looking at me. That when they they've observed this on a like a on a on a molecular level that when two uh, is it electrons or something these phys- particles are near each other they're changed because they're near each other huh so huh. there's this element of like us observing the observable universe uh-huh. and our observing it 
makes it different. And and <laughs> yeah. I, and 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 a lot of people look at that and go, oh well, and they they start arming themselves for proof of an argument that God doesn't exist. And mm. to me, I'm like, I no. don't know. I think that's more proof that He that does because mm. it's so designed. It's and it's <laughs> right. it's, yeah. it's ultimately it's stewardship. It's God made man to be his image and likeness in the universe. And so to take upon the things that we're made to do, not the not the supernatural great things that he does, like saving souls yeah. and stuff, but naming things. Yeah. To be stewards in the universe. I think it's important that we don't invest in fear and uh, <laughs> allow God. You know what I was thinking about the prayer of Jabez this morning? Remember that book? That like became a pillow. Oh and yeah, the the book itself. Yeah, that's right. And Bruce Wilkerson, I think I never read it all the way through, but I know that sometimes people got into the hocus pocus aspect of just the mantra, "Lord, expand my territory." I remember actually that very clearly. A young woman recommending this book. People are seeing miraculous things happen when they're praying this oh, prayer. Yeah. And this morning, I just i I was like, Lord, we want to definitely expand our territory, but it's it's not the material that we need to be. That's the problem. That's is the, yeah, it's one hundred percent. We it's think it's about stuff. Expand our territory in in mm. knowledge of who you are, and and that's in love and relationships and family, like it, like sweet. in people. Solomon like, asked for wisdom. Yeah, he didn't ask for stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul attached to it. Right, someone wants. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you did, though, it'd be in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Pair of Longhorns on the hood. That's right. <laughs> Uh, we could talk about this all day. Yes. Matt Marr yeah. has been incredible. Um, I do want to make sure to get to the Pope story of just uh, how you felt during that. Uh, I was thinking, you were talking about quantum physics. Uh, I, I think the only thing I relate to the, the movie Quantum Leap. That's the only thing I had relatable to that. Yeah, But that's a very profound, uh, even that show has profound theological uh Implications. It's been a while since I've we gotta go back. The dude's yeah. got the the gizmahu and yeah, it makes him. He he's it. basically jumping up and down the timeline and he's uh-huh. jumping in the people's lives and he's basically trying to reconcile things that are made wrong. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And I would say that like is Marty McFly. Like, yeah. 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 I mean. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Back to the future. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and that's what the that but and it's like I I I truly believe that's what the blood of Jesus does. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it it doesn't. It's not primarily concerned with the material. Yeah. And that's the problem is that materialism in some ways, this is the thing that spoiled the well, is that we told people Jesus will heal you and he will make you successful mm-hmm. and Those popular. Those things are tangible. And, I can see them. Yeah. I can touch them. Yeah. Again, and it goes back to faith. It does. Mother Teresa said God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Yeah. I watched this thing. It was yesterday. Craig Groeschel had uh, dropped this little sermon on Instagram. And it was the thing. And he said, a, um, most of us will fail in short-term planning of like, I want to do this better. I want to love better. I want to, I want to like short-term goals. Um, most of us will not be able to do them. We'll, we will overestimate our ability to accomplish sh- short-term goals. Mm-hmm. He goes, but the greater thing is we will underestimate God's ability to accomplish much over a lifetime of faithfulness. Mm. That'll preach, literally. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. a lot of things yeah. in this podcast that will preach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, but the uh, the Pope thing. Yeah, how did you feel? Thing. This is how many thousands of people? This is Brazil, right? It's three million. 
Three million people. So First, even take out the Pope, it's nerve-wracking. What did you wear? That's what your wife asked. What yeah. are you going to wear? I wore like a white shirt with like the sleeves rolled up. It was like collarless. Please tell me there weren't holes in your jeans. No, no. A nice For pair of black jeans. For your mother's sake. Yeah, pair of boots. Okay. You did Lord, I Need You, right? Yes, I okay. did. Yeah. 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 It was during that. It was during that. It was 2013. So it's like everyone in the U.S. was kind of dressing like they were like from, you know, the early 1900s you know like suspenders <laughs> and, suits yeah yeah, yeah like is that whole weird phase right um uh so some of the things i've seen today i kind of want to go back to yeah that. yeah yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind. Mind. oh yeah no yeah, yeah 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 we're we're currently in the 80s 90s thing so yeah. it's like oh, a lot of hair a lot of hairspray once was enough <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so true um but i you know i i was underneath this there's a massive stage built it's the whole, it's the size of a football uh, field. And um, there's a whole, there's a whole backstage area with like, just like over a hundred, 150 tents and all these different people. Cause it was like, there was a huge program mm -hmm. of events right. and it was a prayer vigil. It was on Saturday night and there's this real kind of moment of silence that I was invited to sing into. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I, the only thing you could hear was the sound of the ocean and a helicopter hovering overhead and 3 million people. Oh my goodness. And like right before I walked up, I kind of felt this prompting it was like, don't forget to kneel. Mm -hmm. hmm. Oh yeah. I was like, okay. So now time we just did the song and it, and the whole time, huh. Uh, you know, I've sung that song so many times. Yeah. This thing happens when you're leading a song that you've sung a million times. It You're not really focused on the song anymore. Mm -hmm. And what it is is contemplation. You know, like manual labor is that way. The Part of the reason why manual labor is so good and why we were made to do it is that it actually frees you up to like, frees up your mind to like wander and to think. And after a while, you get all the, background or the the surface noise out and you start having really bigger thoughts yeah, yeah about life meaning universe and that's that's contemplation that's when god starts speaking into your that's why if you don't do manual labor and you have a desk job <laughs> go do, for a yeah, walk yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. seriously yeah. yeah just do something just get yeah do something to get your mind off the, mm -hmm. the immediate and uh so i just found myself thinking about this bible study i used to play at in you're thinking all church, of this while you're kneeling and singing. Kneeling and singing in front of three million people. And you're thinking about a Bible study you attended. With 35 kids that I used to play music at. It just, it, the image of it came to my mind. Mm -hmm. huh. I'm a very visual person when yeah. I pray. And I was just, so then I just, you know, I just kind of asked Jesus, I'm like, well, what's this about? Huh. You know, and that's, for me, prayer, that kind of meditation, that's what it is. Like, you, you think things and you're like, oh, you sort of imagine it like like Tony Stark, like a like a three D model, and you're <laughs> right. like, "What's this? Yeah. Why am yeah. I thinking this? Where, where is this coming from, God?" And you you're having a dialogue, uh -huh. Holy Spirit, with, with Holy Spirit. So I'm like, yeah. "What is this?" And and uh, and it was this realization with the Holy Spirit that uh, I just Jesus was like, I was just as present there mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. I am right now. Amen. Huh. And it felt like such a full circle moment, though, for me, in the sense of like uh, decades and of uh, leading yeah, 
yeah. worship music and writing song. It was, it was, I mean, it was, yeah, it was just shy of 20 years. Uh, and it, it all just kind of came flooding back in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and then the song was over and I got up and kind of walked down and it was still really very reverent, very quiet. And I grabbed my guitar and was like, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, well, I guess I'll walk back to my hotel. And I went the next street over from the main mm-hmm. street on the beach, which is called the Via Atlantica. And I just started weeping hmm. of, I can't, I, 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 I don't even know how to process what just happened. Yeah. A- you know, about playing where you played yeah, or the yeah. combination of the, thoughts. The combination of all of it, the culmination of it, of, I think every musician wants to write a song Mm-hmm. to be part of something that part of a moment mm-hmm. that is bigger than who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, Oh, Oh wow. You just played in front of 3 million people mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. And, uh, and then walking back and, you know, and, and I was just me, I had a band with me, but they were back at the hotel. They watched it from the roof of the hotel. Oh, wow. Are yep. they Catholic as well? Did that no. was that meaningful? No, it's always been this thing where uh, I, as a cruel joke, uh, I, I've, uh, and that was a cruel joke. But <laughs> no, I kind of liked where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah. When huh? I first started yeah, traveling, the, the guys in my band were all were all Catholic, and then you know, because so much of my ministry is built around uh, John seventeen, Jesus' oh. prayer for unity in the church. That one of my greatest gifts has been playing at Catholic events and bringing these like Baptists with me to experience it mm-hmm. and them go like, I had no idea this existed. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's 15 nuns over there and they're just dancing, having a good time. Like what, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. So, and then that one in particular, um, it's a Pentecostal church. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Though, oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, Oh, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going I'm, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to give it a goog really Right. Give it a goog. I haven't heard that phrase. Well, I mean, we know what it means. I, I but I don't know that we should implement it. Yeah, uh, let's give it a goog. <laughs> did you did you make that up? Someone's going to be no. Off- someone else okay. did. Someone's uh, going to be offended. Yeah. So Clarence Gilliard, who plays Ranger Trivet on Walker, Walker Texas Ranger. Oh, okay. Okay. He's also a fellow Catholic, and Clarence okay. was there. And so my drummer Richard was just—he's like, I'm like, what you? Guys, man, I just watched you sing in front of three million people with Ranger Trivet. <laughs> he's standing right there. Yeah. He's like. <laughs> That's amazing. Who then prayed over him uh, at the end, prayed for his wife and kids. It was Aww. really beautiful. Yeah. I think one of my joys has, has, it's always been the biggest hope with my music was that, you know, I've, I've watched in my own life how music creates common ground for people. It, because uh, in order to sing a song together, you have to at least agree about the song. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And what it's saying. Yeah. Just on a different note, my son plays piano, yeah. um, and he's quite good. And uh, he introduces me to all these composers that I've never heard of. I've heard of the Bigs, yeah, but John Cage. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So well, there, there's this trivia game. I'm trying to, you know, this is what you do as a parent. You're trying to find what interests you. Yes. Yeah. And so we're playing this this quiz, and so far they're just they're throwing what are they called softballs. Yeah, I don't yeah. play baseball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, and there, I know all either. of these things. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know this. I know this. And then we get to the place where this guy, who composed an entire uh, what do you call it movement that's completely silent, and I went, 
Yeah. No, that's not a thing. Four and a no, half yeah, minutes yeah, yeah, of yeah. silence. That's yeah. crazy. Four minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> My son immediately pulls it up on YouTube. It's like over 7 million views of this guy at a piano with it completely shut, and he times it. And apparently, according to Cage, that if you even go a millisecond over that, I'm sorry, you played it wrong. You played it, you played it <laughs> wrong. Played it wrong. <laughs> there are other things that you can watch, including a cellist. I throw a cymbal across the room. I mean, you are clearly aware of this guy. But, you know, you were just talking about we all have to know the song in order to sing the song. And I'm mm -hmm. like, with that guy, there's there's no music playing, no. man. No, not everybody, I guess. Yeah. Are <laughs> you hearing music? Yeah. <laughs> is, is it in this room right now? Well, and, and, and yeah, not to geek out, but music is sound and sound is vibration. Yeah. So when you go hear a piece of classical music, I think early composers understood this. Part of what makes that piece is the sound of the audience listening. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Matt Mars is going to turn which, it on its well, head. It's, yeah. it's different when you hear a live recording. Yes. Yeah. When, than when you hear, yeah. Well, well I mean, studio. this is the thing with worship music. You know, like Matt Revin says, uh, the secret sauce to a worship song is the church singing it. Ah. Okay. Which yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. why now so much, so many worship songs, when you listen to, like, people, all people want to hear is a live, they're like, I just want to hear the live recording. Uh huh. Yeah. Because that that's the fifth Beatle. Huh. That's the fifth band member is the crowd. And I think with that piece, that's what John Cage was trying to illustrate. That's interesting. Well, Gosh. maybe it gives me more appreciation. It um, should give it appreciation. But at the same time, I completely agree with you that that's a little bit annoying. It's, little annoying. <laughs> it's like, dude, I, I paid 20 bucks for a ticket for Come this. Come on. Unless you have a toddler at home where you need the silence. I, I would go. I need that right yeah, now. You'd fall, I, you'd fall, how much are tickets? You'd actually there. fall asleep in two minutes and 33 I, oh, seconds. It would be bliss. And have to set an alarm for the other two oh. minutes. It, it would be the longest nap I've had in yeah, years, too. <laughs> Uh, well, we could talk all day. I could. Matt Marr uh, with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. We really appreciate your thoughts Thank and your you music, for of me. course. And we're yeah. welcome back anytime, man. Thank you.